From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling um, for Monday, July 19th, 2021, the day after the conclusion of the 149th Open Championship. And to recap it all with us is our friend Sean Davison. Sean, welcome back to Teeing It Up. Jeremy, thanks for having me. How's it going? I am well. So... Um, it's about 360 days ago, uh, Jim Nance was on a conference call previewing CBS's, uh, 2020 PGA championship coverage and in a quote that got a lot of headlines, um, in a basically monologue that got a lot of headlines he stated that this 11-month stretch of seven majors, three World Golf Championship events, a players, a playoffs, could be one of the greatest stretches in golf history. It got taken out of context and misinterpreted. If you go deeper into the comments, what he basically said is somebody can make their mark if they really put pedal to the metal and have a career stretch with this rare once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of all these big events happening around each other. And that, Sean, came true yesterday because Colin Morikawa won the first major in that 11-month stretch, the 2020 PGA at Harding. He wins the seventh major in that stretch, the Open at Royal St. George's. And he won the WGC earlier this year at Concession. So he is now a Hall of Famer, and Jim Nance, once again, is correct. Yeah, not bad for a guy who a couple of years ago was the, uh, the reigning Pac-12 champion, right? Yeah, who literally, as he said in his speech, you know, I know what it's like to be an amateur. And my mom turned to me and said, he was once low amateur in the open. I'm like, no, he was literally an amateur two years ago. <laughs> literally was still an amateur fresh out of college. Um, God, his rise is amazing. What really stood out to me, Sean, is the tactical way he played Royal St. George's. You and I both know, and Bryson showed it basically, that the bomb and hit it 10,000 mile away is not only not always going to work around those places. And he tactically put himself in the right spots time and time again. And then, like on 15, was able, to, was able to get it up and down when he needed to when he short-sided himself. But he missed it in the right spots. He hit it into the right sectors of greens. And his putter came alive at the right time. And, um, boy, that is one complete performance. Yeah, and I'll say this. Uh, of all the guys that you can watch on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, um, any variation of professional golf across any of the continents that it's played on, you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy who is striking the ball better than Colin Morikawa. Uh, it's just so much fun to watch him with an iron in his hand. There were so many at the flag, somewhere in the vicinity of 10, 15, 20 feet, and even shots that released to the back of the green seemed to be online with the pin. I mean, the dude was just lasering balls all over the place. And then in cases where he missed, kept his head, found the right spot, found the right angle, hit a good pitch, made a good putt. 
We saw some real high-quality par-saving putts down the stretch, a really big birdie putt as well for Colin. Uh, when Jordan Spieth was really pouring the pressure on as they came in, um, you know, it, he really has been incredibly impressive over this seven-major stretch. He's won two now. Uh, the first time we've seen somebody roll into the PGA and win it the first time they played it and then roll into the Open and win it the first time they played it. Uh, just incredibly impressive stuff and what an incredible talent we have on our hands here. And you and I always talk about ceilings and basements and, and what's realistic and what's not realistic and what I think is very realistic about what Colin is doing is that he is not going to end up in a Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau type controversy. He's not going to say the wrong thing. He very much reminds me of Rory in the sense that if Rory is a statesman for the game or if Jordan Spieth is a statesman for the game, that's going to be Colin. And I think one of the more interesting examples of, of why I think he... Um, you know, is, is, is one of these guys that can really be here for a long time is he's a part of the Vegas crew. And there's a whole bunch of guys who now live and play out of Las Vegas and don't get the Vegas effects that you and I get. Um, there is no gravitational pull towards the sins that are Las Vegas for someone like Colin. And I always find it interesting that guys, you know, whether it's Scottsdale, whether it's Phoenix, whether it's Palm Springs, whether it's Florida, whether it's, you know, the, the Jupiter area, the like Nona, Orlando area, whether it's the Jacksonville area, they kind of all, you know, Sea Island, obviously, they all kind of coalesce around these places and slowly but surely Vegas is becoming one of them. And I think his maturity, 24 going on 40, as Paul Azinger said, um, at one point on Sunday. It's just really impressive stuff to see what he's doing at this age with everything in front of him. Absolutely. And I mean, look, I don't want to take anything away from Victor Hogland or Matthew Wolf, who we've seen both get off to incredible starts in their own careers, right? I mean, I think a lot of times the casual sports fan might miss the fact that to be ranked in the top 100 in the world in anything is outstanding, right? And for a Victor Hovland to have won a few tournaments now in his career um, between the European Tour and the PGA Tour, for Matt Wolf to have won so early on in his career and to have contended now in a couple, actually now three different major championships and a couple of U.S. Opens and, of course, the PGA at Harding, um, and then Colin to have won a couple it is incredible. And I think a lot of folks paid a lot of attention to Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland coming out of college because they went to Oklahoma State. They won a national championship. You know, Victor won the won the NCAA individual. I mean, just honors upon honors upon honors. There was that whole Golf Channel spinoff on, you know, Okie State. And, and there was a lot of publicity, I think, surrounding that program. And make no mistake about it, the way Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland go about their business and the way they have played, they have earned every bit of the accolades that they have received. However, Colin Morikawa 
seem to, to me at least, and, I, and I'd be curious to see what you think, to fly under the radar a bit. We knew who he was. We knew he was good. You know, in some of the Golf Channel broadcasts and some of the college events, and they've done a great job of expanding beyond just covering the NCAAs every year, um, you would see him, and, and he would be on leaderboards, and you'd hear about how good he was. But comparatively speaking, the casual golf fan who would tune in might know a lot more about a Hogland or a Wolf than they would a Morikawa. And now, what do you know? All, all this time later, look at how he has progressed quite nicely. Um, look, I, I don't know if Vegas necessarily has anything to do with it, but I do agree with you on the notion that being in a place where a lot of other professional golfers live certainly is beneficial for these guys, whether it is in Jupiter, whether it's Vegas, whether it's Palm Springs, or whether it's right here practically in my backyard in Lake Nona. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of guys are there. So whenever you go out to the range, whenever you go out to play your money games around a quick 18, you're not just playing it with the five handicapper who broke 80 the other day and feels pretty good about himself because it was the first time he played in a couple of weeks, right? Like you're, you're playing somebody else who has a card and who isn't doing this just as a hobby. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, iron sharpening iron, that certainly has helped. And to your point, there's a growing contingent out there in Vegas um, you know, that not just on the PGA Tour side, but also the LPGA Tour side, because if I'm not mistaken, NB Park is out there. Um, that That's just a tremendous group of winners. And yep. now Colin Morikawa is a part of that. You can also add uh, Daniel Kang, um, yeah. who's out there uh, and, and who's a part of probably the next young, great golf power couple. Um, with uh, uh, with Maverick McNeely, who who also is out of Vegas, um, so yeah, there there's there's a lot of people out there. Here's here's my thought on Colin. He doesn't really do anything sexy, right? Wolf's got the funky swing and he hits it ten thousand miles. Hovland's got this really cool swagger about him, and he said that he sucks at chipping, which is very relatable. Um, and he really did was horrible at chipping, and, he, and and he's improved. And I think one of the reasons why Phil is so loved by everybody, Mickelson is is that you know he's the guy who hits it in into some odd places. Same with Jordan Spieth. Never quite know what you're getting from Jordan. You think you're gonna know, you think you know what you're getting, but you're not 100% sure what you're getting. And that's why you tune in because it's not just gonna be fairway green, fairway green, fairway green. But that's Collins' game is just very consistent. As Jordan said, it's very hard for him to get off and get his swing out of position. Um, so it's and what and, and, and what his longtime coach, Doctor Rick Sessinghouse, said to me um, last year was that, or, or 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 maybe it was earlier this year, but no, it was last year. We just mentally prepare for all these situations. So I think he's kind of the more of the okay i got it i'm just gonna fly under the radar versus the other guys that are a little more flashy that's my two cents as to why he's kind of flown under the radar he also won if i'm not mistaken um no he was second to win amongst that clan but he won and he the event he won was an opposite field event and nothing against the barracuda but i think it got overshadowed by memphis and i think that's partly why Matt came on the scene, obviously, winning the 3M. Victor, everybody was just waiting, 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 so his win kind of poked through. But I think Murakawa kind of flew under the radar, and some people may have missed that um, in the process. We're, we're talking to Sean Davison here on Teeing It Up. Man, Jordan Spieth's back, and I know that everybody's going to look at the 
the two bogeys Saturday on 17, 18, the missed putt on 18. But for me, A, we don't know how um, Colin would have reacted. B, I think the most important thing is how he bounced back. According to the folks from the Open who either got this in a transcript or talked to him, or I'm not sure where this quote came from or, or, or this piece of information came from because I haven't seen it anywhere else. Uh, apparently, Jordan hit 500 putts between the conclusion of rounds uh, round three and the start of round four. Um, that's a lot of putts. But he wanted to get rid of whatever was ailing his stroke immediately. And you saw him sprint off, obviously, and and, and head to work with uh, Cam McCormick, and, and the rest is, is kind of history. That's what I want to focus on, the fact that this guy – Bounced back, had a little bit of a slow start, but just kept pushing, 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 pushing. Turned it on with the ego on seven, um, but really was able, I thought, Sean, to have confidence in his game, have the swagger in his game, even with the back of your mind missing a two-foot par putt on the 54th hole the previous day. And I know a lot of people are going to make it out to be about those putts, but I like the resiliency more than I like thinking about those putts. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, I, I think that when you go back to those two punts that he missed on Saturday, you would be very quick to say, oh, he lost by two strokes, he missed two putts he very well could have made, and that's right there the difference. I actually really liked his answer uh, post-round or post round when uh, when he talked about his assessment of the tournament. And he, and he pointed to those two missed putts, but not in the respect that he lost by two initially, as much as with those two putts, if you make those two putts, you get yourself in the final group, and you never know what happens. So I think going hand-in-hand with what you said there, you know, just the practical thing is if you make those two putts, you're in the final group. And if you're playing well in the final group and right there with Colin, you you never know what Colin shoots. I mean, look, Colin looks unflappable, and he looks incredible, and congratulations to him. Um, But you never know. You know, this is still something that's new for him. It was, for crying out loud, his first open. And, you know, if you start making a few birdies right there with him, which Louie wasn't able to do, does that affect him in any way? Uh, so I really actually thought that, that that little intricate line in Jordan Spieth's post-round interview with NBC, I thought was interesting because I, it felt like, you know, I'm aware that that was an issue. I'm aware that there's the glaring you know, two-shot deficit here, and people are going to look at that. But I thought the way he framed it um, was pretty interesting from just a mental standpoint. And it told me that in addition to everything else we've seen where it seems like the game is coming into uh, coming into place and the pieces of the puzzle are coming together, it also, to me, told me that his mind is in a pretty good place as well. And, uh, and that's a really good thing for the game of golf. If you can get a guy like a Colin Morikawa you know, Matt Wolf, um, you know, Jordan Spieth. It, w- it would be great to see Ricky Fowler getting back at it and, and playing well again. And congratulations to Ricky. I know he's expecting um, his first child with Allison here. Um, you know, it, it would be great to have that contingent. Justin Thomas, I know it's been an up-and-down year for him, highlighted, of course, by the players. But there's a, there's a really good core of younger golfers, and a lot of whom are Americans, that this predominantly American golf audience is going to gravitate toward um, that can really catapult this game moving forward. 
forward because I think the novelty of Phil doing what he did at Kiowa is you don't expect to see that kind of thing. And what are our expectations for Tiger Woods on the back end of the car accident, really? You know, so it's very apparent to us that that we need to start pulling ourselves toward these figures. And it's not just the Americans, right? You mentioned Rory, uh, Hideki Matsuyama for the Asian fans, and there are a lot of them. And I can't even begin to imagine what his Masters win would do uh, in that regard. Um, it, it, it's a really cool time for the game. I really think so. And to have Jordan Spieth playing the way he's playing and to have him thinking the way he's thinking, I think it really bodes well um, for Jordan, for American golf, and for golf as a whole. Amen. And I think to that end also, you're looking at somebody uh, in Colin Morikawa who now rides the ultimate high into the Olympics. And Xander shot 65 on Sunday. JT, we know, can turn it on and loves playing in these formats for, for, for the Americans. And thankfully, golf is an individual sport. So while Bryson will be there, the Americans don't really need to... Um, put themselves with Mr. DeChambeau um, if they do not want to spend time with him. And, you know, they can have a blast in, um, in, in Tokyo as much of a blast as you can have with all these restrictions. Um, but I really think that the Americans have a great shot in the Olympics, but that's a complete side story from there. Uh, a, a, a side note, excuse me. Um, Sean Davison with us and teeing it up, talking about the Open. John Rahm. Um, what happened at Memorial is one of the more st- st- just stunning TV scenes I think any of us will see. And then to bounce back the way he did at Tory to win at a place that's so special for him professionally and for personally, obviously, getting engaged there. Um, and then being able to um, come through and get that win and then bounce back and put himself in position yet again at Royal St. George's, he, to me, I think is going to be somebody that, much like a lot of these guys in this crop, week in, week out, major in, major out, if you don't have John Rahm on your radar, you are doing something wrong. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I've had the chance to be out and around the tour a little bit over the previous years, not so much over the last couple. And so I haven't really had the chance to... to get around John and to, you know, introduce myself or say hi or anything like that. Um, But I do know some folks that know John quite well. And the overwhelming sentiment is, you know, not only is he freakishly talented at what he does, and that was put on full display at Torrey Pines, but also a really good person as well. And um, look, those types of people, you know, the people that you can really uh, appreciate just for who they are, and then what they can do. I think, again, you know, I mentioned Rory, I mentioned Hideki, and I'm glad you brought up John Rahm. Uh, look, he, he does so many things so well on the golf course, and he's a lightning bolt of energy when he gets things going. And he can make birdies in bunches, as we saw on the back nine at the Open, nearly made five in a row. And that's great for the game. You know, seeing how he fired up the crowd in his match against Tiger at the Ryder Cup in France back in 2018. I mean, you can look at all the different things John Rahm brings to the game of golf, and there are a ton of them. And the vast majority of them are good. Um, 
you know, he, he would have to, to sit and try to figure out what he does that's not good for the game. And frankly, I don't know if there's anything. I mean, there's been some head-scratching moments, like, you know, going for the green at, at TPC Softgrass from a fairway bunker. But every tour pro is going to have those kind of moments. Unfortunately for him, it happened in one of the most watched tournaments and one of the biggest tournaments of the year. Um, look, my overwhelming sentiment after this year, after seeing Jordan Spieth win again, after seeing Phil win again, after seeing Colin Morikawa, you know, stake his claim with two majors, you know, seeing Bryson and his scientific approach pull through at a U.S. Open last year, seeing John Rahm, I, that was a when thing. It wasn't ever a, an if thing, you know, seeing him win a major. And the fact that it was at Torrey Pines is super cool for him. Um, you know, seeing him pull through. I mean, we've seen such diversity in the talent on the tour and worldwide, you know. It's been a lot of fun to watch golf this year and seeing names that maybe we've known for years that haven't quite stepped into the forefront in that way um, finally do so. And so, yeah, we're going to be talking about John Rahm for a while, and the game of golf is absolutely better for it. Amen. Amen to that. Sean, uh, Sean Davison with us and teeing it up. Louis, we got to talk about Louis Oosthuizen. Um, it was the right miss with the driver in New Orleans at the playoff. Um, sorry, in the uh, Zurich playoff. It was the right miss with the driver um, at the PGA at Kiowa. It was the left miss with the driver um, when he overcorrected at... Tory at, at the U.S. Open, um, and he struggled with some quick swings on Saturday. And I wondered yesterday, going into the way it played out at Royal St. George's, would it be the right miss or would it be the left miss that would doom Louie, or would he recover? And ultimately, it was a miss to the right, second shot at seven, that then changed everything um, with that bunker shot that went awry. And... Those moments can happen to everybody, and it's unfortunate that it's happened to Louie and his run of, of top finishes that are not first in majors continues. Where do you stand on Louis Oosthuizen as we conclude the 2021 Major Championship golf season? So with Louis Oosthuizen, I, I think it's important to remember Especially in light of seeing what Phil Mickelson did at Kiowa, knocking on the you know knocking on the door of turning 51, that if you just look health-wise, if he stays healthy, right, and if he can play well at a high level for an extended period of time, you could you could conceivably see Louis who stays and play really high-level golf at this caliber of event for 10, 12 years even. So. I'm not sure I agree with the notion that, you know, the clock is, like, super loudly ticking. That having been said, I think there is something to watching youngsters like Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, and, and John Rahm do what they're doing, and you also happen to be 38. Um, but that having been said, he's so solid. And this year he has been putting oh so well um, that – it's surprising to me that the pieces don't come together more regularly than they do. You know, we haven't really seen him win on the PGA Tour. We saw him win the Open Championship. He's won in South Africa. He's won on the European Tour at a good clip. And, you know, he's a name that I think American golf audiences recognize from his appearance on the board in majors. Um, 
and I think they should continue to expect to see that. And I think the longer you knock on the door, at some point in time, you're going to knock that door down. You know, it's a pity to me that at some point in time, if he doesn't win another major, people might gloss over Louis Oosthuizen's body of work and his career resume. And, you know, it, it's still a pretty good one, right? You know, you won an Open Championship at St. Andrews of all places. You've done pretty well for yourself, to say the least. But this is a guy that, look, we talk at length about all Rory's got to do to win the Grand Slam, as if it's a minor thing, is win the Masters, right? <laughs> all Jordan Speed has to do to win the Career Slam is win the PGA. All Phil Mickelson has to do to win the Career Slam is win the U.S. Open. If you look at the four majors, the way he's played for an extended period of time, he's won the Open, he's finished second in everything else. We are that close to talking about Louis Oosthuizen having won the career Grand Slam. And that, to me, is one of the things that I think about first when I think of Louis Oosthuizen and his career, is that, you know, he is, you know, razor thin from being a one-time major champ and winning the career Grand Slam. And it's insane to me that that is the case. Um, but that is what it is. Yeah. I would not be surprised at all to see him win another major or two or three. Because if I'm not mistaken, I remember at some point we talked about that after he won the Open. And it's insane to me that it's been 11 years since this happened. But I remember you asking me, is this the kind of guy that you can see contending in majors and winning multiple majors? Because we were at that point in time where Tiger was still coming back from injury and and guys were kind of winning majors left and right. Lucas Glover had just won a U.S. Open the year before. And, you know, there was a, there was a little bit of randomness to who was winning majors. And you asked me if, it, if he was a guy that could stick, and I said I thought he could. I didn't think that he could come so close so often and have so many legitimate chances to win every major. Um, but I would stand to think that at 38 years old, he's going to have a handful of opportunities, and I would like to think at least once or twice he'll cash in. I am with you on that. He has not won anywhere around the world since the South African Open at the very end of 2018. So it has been a while for him to sniff any kind of a win. And I think he'll want to get um, that rectified um, pretty soon. Sean Davison with us here on Teeing It Up. Finally, from the Open, Brooks Kepka, um, who... I believe is way more hurt than he's letting on. I believe what he's doing in 2020 is way more impressive than we're giving him credit for. I believe this is a very injured human being. I don't know exactly what's wrong, but I don't think the left knee fully healed and whatever happened to the right knee, whatever situation it happened in, um, he's doing a heck of a job on a battered body. And sometimes I think that's the best example of who he is. He is a grinder. He is a competitor. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you, what what game this is, who who you belong in. But at majors, when the pressure's ratcheted up, when those FedEx Cup points, as my dad said yesterday, VFPs, valuable FedEx Cup points on the line, uh, he's there. Uh, I think what he's doing in 2021 is mighty, mighty remarkable. Couldn't agree more. Um... Look, we all know how good Brooks Kepka is, and he won a number of majors, four, in a very quick time. And I think, to your point, 
this is why I've said time and time again, when guys get off to this kind of flying start to their major career, because if you think about it, right, Brooks graduated from FSU, won across the pond, played several years in Europe. wasn't really until 2015 when he won in Phoenix that he played more consistently on the PGA Tour. So we're talking about a guy that we've seen here in America on a consistent basis for six years, right? I mean, there's been the occasional spot start leading up to that, but really six years. And you look at the tournaments he's won. He's become the number one player in the world. He's won four majors. He's won Memphis. He's, I mean, he's a regular contender. He's a name that you think of whenever there's anything worth anything on the line. And he's in the field, right? He's one of the first names that comes to mind as somebody who could win the thing. For him to have risen to that level is astounding. And a lot of folks, when he won the U.S. Open in 2017, not necessarily then on its own because it was one of those cool stories at that point, but when he backed it up and won a PGA in 2018 and then he won another PGA in 2019, that's where I think a lot of people thought, ah, this guy's a natural athlete, he can hit at nine miles, he's unflappable, he's a gamer in the majors. At that point in time, his major mindset came to light very similar to Tiger's, and a lot of people thought and vocalized that he was going to be the next Tiger-like player. Well, Jeremy, we've heard that time and time again, whether it be Dustin Johnson or Rory McIlroy or Jordan Spieth. And look, every single one of those players has had a terrific career. But Tiger Woods has done something astounding in his career, and I don't think I need to come on your show and say that for anybody to understand that, right? (laughs) 15 majors, incredible. To win two majors, three majors, four majors. I mean, heck, I think I've made this example on your show a, a number of times. Zach Johnson's going to be a World Golf Hall of Fame, a guy who doesn't hit the ball nine miles, right, and is known for his wedge play and his ball striking and being a really solid putter. He's won some of the neighborhood of about 10 to 12 PGA Tour events. He's won two majors at Augusta and St. Andrews. That is right there in and of itself a, a World Golf Hall of Fame resume, roughly right in there. The two majors, 10 to 12 PGA Tour events, I mean, he's going to he's going to go from Des Moines to St. Augustine in the World Golf Hall of Fame at some point in time, no doubt. And I think a lot of times we romanticize a guy who wins several majors as being the next guy to win ten of them. And I think, to your point, with Brooks and his injury issues, yeah, he was he's still ripped. He's still a tremendous athlete. But sometimes things that we don't foresee can get in the way, whether it be Tiger and his injury issues later on in his career or what Brooks is going through right now. And for people that were on top of the mountain at one point, it can take everything and more just to try to climb that mountain again. And I think that's kind of where we're at with Brooks. And he's doing a tremendous job of it. You know, he's won at Phoenix. He's been on major leaderboards. He was again on one here at the Open. And the healthier he gets, the better he's going to play. And I'm sure he will win more majors. And that's why, too, you know, I think we also need to allow a guy like a Colin Morikawa to just be Colin Morikawa. He doesn't have to be the next anybody in the world. He doesn't have to be the next Zach. He doesn't have to be the next Bryson or Brooks or Rory or Rom or whoever. I mean, it's kind of ironic because a lot of those guys are still playing and winning, but he doesn't have to be the next anybody. He just needs to be Colin, and he needs to do what he does, and he needs to do it as well as he's been doing it, and he will do just fine. He's got the major component checked off, right? When about 10 more tour events, you're going to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame, and you're all, you're only 24, right? Like, so you've got a lifetime of opportunities ahead of you. 
to turn this career into just another stratosphere of special. And so, you know, that's where Brooks has been, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he plays as he continues to get healthier. And it's a when thing for me, not an if. And Colin Morikawa, just to bring it back full circle to the major that we just watched, um, you know, sky's the limit for him. You know, it's kind of cool to see a guy throw back, doesn't hit the ball nine miles, solid ball striker, really good putter, um, does it the way it used to be done in this era of dudes like Brooks and Bryson who can bomb it out there. Um, but, you know, it, I would not at this point in time, if I'm Colin, go chasing an extraordinary amount of distance just to do it. You know, what you're doing is winning now. And it's winning huge golf tournaments now. And so, you know, there's no telling where Colin's going to go from here. There's no telling where a guy like Brooks is going to go from here. But I think it's important to appreciate, as you've mentioned, what Brooks has done and what he's doing and what we're seeing out of Colin Morikawa at the outset of what has already been a tremendous career so far. Amen to all of that. And you nailed the Zach Johnson uh, profile. He has 12 wins, two majors, and he's won $47 million in his on-course career. Sean... <laughs> I think he's sitting pretty right now, wherever he is. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think he's doing. Yeah, I think he's doing quite well for himself. Yeah. And uh, and look, he. I'll also throw this in. Great teammate would not be surprised to see him at some point in time become a Ryder Cup or a Presidents Cup captain. We've seen him in that assistant captain rota uh, over the years. Would not be surprised if at some point we see Zach Johnson captaining one of those teams here in the not too distant future. Yep. With you on that as well. Uh, two things to uh, close this one out. First of all, we haven't mentioned Dustin Johnson. Um, had a weird year, one in Saudi Arabia. Um, had a knee issue that I don't know if people believe or not. Um, we've got a fade that won't fade. He thinks he figured out. He, he's been on a bunch of leaderboards on Sundays, hasn't really gone anywhere. And then secondly, Brooks Bryson, where do you fall on this? I'm Team Brooks. Bryson needs to tone it down. Yeah, so as far as DJ goes, I think, you know, I'm not going to take up too much time. I think you have to sort of frame it in much the same way as Brooks, right? Um, you know, the injury issues and all that kind of stuff um, can, can play a role. And remember, there was a certain point in time where years ago, several years ago, Everybody thought DJ is primed to win at Augusta. As it turns out, he ended up winning the Masters anyway. But that year going into Augusta, I mean, he was clear-cut favorite in ways that Tiger and or Phil were. And Flip hurt his back on the stairs, right, and had to withdraw from the Masters that year. And, I mean, it seems like almost ever since then, I know he's had the recurring knee issues as well. You know, it feels like something just quite hasn't been right. And look, these really athletic dudes who put in a lot of wear and tear on their bodies and whatnot, you know, that's the, that's the risk they run. You know, Tiger Woods, peak of his career, physical specimen, and, you know, there's no talent. You know, how hard he's pushed and how much work he's put in. And on one side of the coin, that's a really good thing. On the other side of the coin, you can wear your body down. And you can maybe cause a little damage here and there. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go right out and say that that's what Brooks or DJ have done. But it's, it, it is a risk that you do run the more work you put in. You know, you can overexert certain things, hyperextend things, and cause all kinds of issues. And, and look, again, like I said, I can't speak to the, the specificity of those issues, but... 
it is kind of ironic how a lot of times we see these dudes who are just physical specimens out there, but then they're the ones that have the nagging back and the knee and the elbow and all these other kind of issues that you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? You know? Um, and so there, there could be a parallel there. I'm not sure. But DJ is going to be healthy at some point. He's going to continue to win at some point. I think his short game is really actually quite underrated. Um, you know, I think he kind of comes and goes with the putter, and, you know, if he can get that fade to actually fade, um, it is really, to me, the two things. Because, I mean, he can drive the ball like Brooks and Bryson a, a ton. Um, he, he can be pretty darn accurate as well. Ball striking is pretty good. Um, but to me, um, the, the, the putter really for years has been something that I that I go, okay, you know, how well can DJ putt? Um, but look, he, he's, he's a champion. I mean, he's an outstanding golfer. And we're going to see him, especially the way he can hit the ball, contend and win majors and golf tournaments for years and years to come. As far as Brooks and Bryson go, I mean, look, I'm not expecting to see them paired up in Wisconsin as, uh, as four ball or foursomes uh, teammates, but it would be highly entertaining if they were. Um, I, I like Bryson, and I like the intuitive approach that he brings to the game, and I respect that approach. However, um, <laughs> this is tricky, Jeremy. You, you put me on the spot with uh, between the guy from my alma mater who, again, as I'll mention, like I've mentioned before, the peak of my athletic career was sharing a putting green with the dude in Tallahassee at one point against the kid that I think is also a really good kid but can also be misunderstood. Well, here, um, let, let me reframe it this way because I, I think this will make it easier for you. Brooks believes that this is good for the game. And, and my perspective has been this is great for golf unless it crosses the line. And if Bryson's going to have a problem with people yelling out Brooksy, then, then we've got an issue that has to be addressed because it's one thing to be heckled, but you don't want to be heckled on a tee when you're about to swing, et cetera, et cetera. So is this good for the game? That's how I'll frame it for you. Sure. So I think a little rivalry and this doesn't seem to be little by any stretch of the imagination, is good for the game, right? Like, if you go back years and years and years, you're either a Tiger guy or a Phil guy. It was hard. You were hard-pressed to find somebody who was both. Um, I, so I think on a base level, a rivalry is good for the game, without a doubt. Um, that having been said, where I would like to frame things as far as Bryson is concerned is you have to pick and choose what narrative you want to take, right? You can't be pointing out people and having them thrown out of golf tournaments for calling you Brooksy and then meeting with the media and saying that you love it. You know, like, that, that's hypocritical at, at the very least, right? To, to be saying, like, oh, I love it, it's a compliment, yet you're throwing people out because they're calling you Brooksy. Look, there's a million things people could call him that are a lot worse than that. So if that's the worst thing he's hearing throughout the course of this round, I think he's got it pretty good. Um, that having been said, I think to your point, there are times that just in general, making noise and trying to distract golfers is unacceptable. Um, it's one thing to be yelling that at him as he's walking down the fairway to his ball. It's another thing to yell that as he's taking the club back. 
Um, so if that's one of those things that that's what he's singling out, and those are the those are the people that he's pointing at and saying, okay, security, remove them, please. I think that needs to be made clear because where I'm at. Um, regarding that whole deal is I'm confused as to how somebody who can say they love the taunting, they love the energy, also is actively trying to get people removed from a golf tournament because they're calling him Brooksy. Um, and, of course, what that also in turn does is, you know, there's nothing you can do in this day and age, in this social media era, that isn't going to get reported on, not just by official media members, but by people that are just tweeting in the gallery right and live streaming on IG or whatever in the gallery and so in this 21st century social media era you have to imagine that that information is going to get back to Brooks and so if Bryson wants this to end you know that has to be toned down on his part Brooks on the other hand you know at some point in time too I would say that you know I think a conversation between the two has to be had they have to come to some sort of understanding uh, because where Brooks runs into perhaps um, some muddy waters or some deep waters is if you continue this and, you know, Bryson continues to smile and shrug things off, at least officially, to the media and you're throwing daggers and jabs and all that kind of stuff is then all of a sudden you start to look like the bully. And at what point in time does this rivalry that's good for the game turn into a bad PR move for you? And so I think that's where Brooks has to sort of reassess some things. And then where Bryson has to reassess some things is you say you love it, but your actions don't measure up with it. And, you know, how are you going to approach this moving forward? And I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in Bryson's camp right now. You know, caddy changes. He's not, I guess, feeling his equipment. Uh, so there's a lot going on in the world of Bryson DeChambeau, and it's got to be a stressful place to be. Um, amidst all of this other stuff. And so I want to be sensitive to that. But at the same time, you know, both of these guys have to figure something out because as good as a rivalry can be, I can see how this can be going nowhere good really quick. Yep. It can always go nowhere good really quick. Well, I know somebody who is going well really quick, and that's Colin Morikawa. His <laughs> stock is rising tremendously, as is the stock of the Callaway folks that got his irons figured out after he struggled with his ball striking at the Scottish Open. Um, Sean Davison, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. I really appreciate it. Jeremy, thanks so much for the time, and I'll just take two seconds. Got a shout-out, my buddy. I I've been telling you this, I think, off the show for a while. Yep. I'm talking about FSU golf, um, and a lot of people know Blix, they know Brooks, they know Berger, and I've been telling you, man, there's this wave of Jack McGuire, who's out on the Corn Ferry Tour, and Hank Lidiota, who are every bit, you know, the bona fide tour players who could have really nice careers. And Hank took a very well-deserved week off, completely turned his season around, if not his entire career, three consecutive top tens. He and I are from the same area, went to school at the same time, and good to see my pal doing so well on the tour. Amen. And he's lefty like me, so I'm already a fan of him. Um, <laughs> Sean, thanks again. I really appreciate it. All right, Jeremy. Thanks so much.